So, for some time now, we've been talking about um, what? Who, who remembers what we've been talking about? Jesus on trial. Jesus on trial. And what have you learned about Jesus on trial? For some time now, so those of you who've, this is your first time, we're talking about Jesus on trial. And this is the fourth um, discussion we're having on this, the fourth and the last one. And then next week, God willing, we'll start to talk about what? The apocalypse. We'll be talking about the events that are to happen in, during the end times. Again, forgive me for my voice. I got a cold. So, Jesus on trial. Beverly, you have a question? Okay. So, um, Anel, Jesus on trial. What do you remember we talked about? And that's how, I, that's how we do over here. Everybody talks, okay? That's why I learned your names. <laughs> so I call people to talk. I think your mic is not working. Yeah, my, my, I'll just talk. You can all hear me, right? Yes. Can you all hear me? Naomi, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Joshua, can you hear me? Okay. Anel, Jesus on trial. What have you learned? Louder. There were, there were four books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four books Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh huh. Oh, and um, the one that we did um, last week about the prophets and how they proved that Jesus um, proved the things that Jesus did. Uh huh. To prove the things that Jesus did. Okay, great. So we learned that we can rely on the records that talk about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as well as all of the whole Bible, right? That the Bible is credible, it's reliable. And then we also learned that um, the Bible, having been passed down to us through many different copies, has not changed from the original. And so the Bible you have in your hand is reliable. You can trust what it says. How did we come to that conclusion? We sort of critiqued the Bible as a textual evidence. You know, in law right now, when somebody goes to do something or there's any crime, what lawyers look for or the uh, forensics, what they look for is what? Evidence. And one piece of evidence is called textual evidence. Is there any written document that can provide information on something that happened? Right? So they call that textual evidence. And every textual evidence, they have a criteria by which they can judge that evidence if it's credible, if it's reliable, has it been altered in any way? 
Is it something that we can trust the information it's given? Right? And so we learned that one of those tests is the ability test. Do the people who, who wrote that document have the ability to write it, to retain the information and to transmit that information onto the paper? Right? And we also looked at what other tests, the corroborating test. Are there other documents outside of what has been written that confirm what has been written? And then we looked at the um, scientific evidence where we're saying, are there other archaeological evidence? So if this text talks about a place in Jerusalem called Caesarea Philippi, for instance, have archaeologists been able to unearth a place like that in Jerusalem? Which will then confirm that what this was talking about is true. And so textual critics of the Bible have taken the Bible through all of these tests, and there were eight of them, I just listed a few. They've taken the Bible through all of these tests, and they can confirm that indeed the testimony of the Bible is true. And then now we come to the question of, okay, if it was true what they wrote, hasn't it been changed after they've started copying and copying and copying and copying over the years to us? And we said, okay, let's look at that evidence too. There are many copies from the earlier centuries. How have they been changed compared to now? So there are people that are called textual critics. They look at various variations in the text and they compare it. And after thousands and thousands of comparisons, the conclusion is the Bible we have today has not changed from the original. Okay? And then last, week, last Friday, Good Friday, we looked at what? Um, Jesus, does he fit the Messiah description? And we saw that, yes, indeed, he fits the prophecies of the Messiah. For instance, it says in Isaiah 53 that he was going to be bruised, he was going to be beaten, he was going to be afflicted, and he did fit that bill. And many other prophecies about him, where he will be born, the family line that he would come from, right, his garments that the soldiers would part when they crucify him, and all of that happened, proving that he is the Messiah. And also, we also saw attributes in Jesus that make him God, because he claimed to be God. That was why he got killed, actually. He got killed because he said he was God. And so, we saw how his crucifixion went last Friday. Um, did you like it, Beverly, the crucifixion? Last Friday, yeah. Friday. Yeah. Friday. No, this Friday. <coughs> Good Friday. Did you like the, the description of the crucifixion? Yeah. What did you learn? Um, are you talking about the place that we No, no, no. I'm talking about when we were in here in the morning. Oh, with the passion and stuff? Right. Okay, um. What did you learn? Uh, what's with that smile? I learned uh -huh. about Jesus uh -huh. dying for us. 
You learn about Jesus dying for us. Uh huh. What about Jesus dying for us? Just tell me one. How did you feel? Um, I felt like I felt very like emotional because you know he died for us. Like you know he took his life away for us for me. You felt you felt very emotional because he took his life for us. So, you felt very emotional. And how about um, Jaden? Jaden, what did you also learn last Friday? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you didn't know there were spikes in the rope, and so it made you know how much Jesus suffered for you. Amen. Amen. Now, today is Resurrection Sunday, as you're all aware. We'll continue, and this will be the last of this series, Jesus on Trial, and Today we'll be looking at what will we be looking at today? Today we'll be looking at the tomb being empty. Right? Resurrection Sunday, Jesus is risen, and we say the tomb is empty. What about it that's relevant to us? We'll discuss that. We'll also look at the resurrection. And then we will conclude um, on our Jesus on trial discussion. So under the tomb is empty, we will look at first century tombs, how they looked like, to give us an understanding when we talk about the tomb being empty. We would look at who says the tomb is empty and some of the theories that have been brought forward to sort of discount the resurrection. So one is being the wrong sepulchre theory, and then stolen or bribed. And the resurrection, we'll look at three days and three nights. Three days and three nights, you know, he said Jesus was died and buried three days and three nights. If you count Friday, Saturday, Sunday, does it make three days and three nights? Does it? Does it make three days and three nights? Right. So is the Bible true? Okay, so we'll look at that, okay? <laughs> we'll look at that. And then we'll also look at, does empty tomb equal resurrection? If the tomb is empty, does it mean Jesus is, is, is risen? Okay? And then we'll also look at one of the... Quiet! One of the theories is that Jesus didn't really write. It's the disciples are just having hallucinations. Seeing some ghosts and thinking it's Jesus risen up. 
So we'll see if indeed it is hallucination or is it resurrection. Some also say it's just wishful thinking. So we'll look at that. And then we'll also look at what I call the final evidence. Final evidence. And in the conclusion, we'll examine what does this all mean to us. Okay? Ready for us to roll? Belinda, can you read for me? Quiet. Belinda, read. The tomb was actually like a small room cut out of rock. Instead of a hole in the ground, the way most graves are today, the entrance to this tomb was more like the opening of an above ground The entrance was low to the ground, though, and there was a slanted groove that led down to it. A large, just-shaped stone was rolled down this groove and lodged into place across the door. Gravity made it easy to roll the disc down the groove, but it would take several strong people to roll the stone back up to reopen the tomb. Okay, so this is describing to us how the, the tomb... David, everything okay? All right. Describing to us how the first century tombs looked like, okay? So it's not like, you know how now we, we have a, the burial ground where you, they dig underneath and put the people in there, right? But it's not like that. This is more like a cave where they will put the people in. And the cave is such that it's a hole in the ground. I mean, instead of a hole in the ground, it's an opening to an above ground cave. I have a picture of it. I think it will be easier to explain that. So you see how it's almost slanting, so it's easy to roll the stone to cover the opening. Very easy because gravity will help you to cover it. But it will take strong men to roll it back up to open it. Okay? Keep that in mind because that becomes important when we talk about the empty tomb. That's sort of like how their tombs were in the first century. Can I have Francisca read for me? After the whole thing? Read, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry up. As Ethan approached, a rich man came from the town of... Arimathea. Arimathea. His name was Joseph. He had... He has become a follower of Jesus. He went to the, to the place. Pilate. Pilate and actually for Jesus' body. Pilate ordered. Ordered. Huh? You can't. I can't see. What did I say? Pilate ordered, ordered that it be given. Ordered that it be given to him. Okay, so we'll continue. Okay, um, Emmanuel. <laughs> Come on, guys. Guys, please try to focus, man. He placed it in his old YouTube tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled the big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb. Then he went away. Okay, Joshua, continue for me. Mary Magdalene and other and the other Mary were sitting there across from the tomb. Uh, the next day, there was the day after the preparation, after preparation day. The chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. So they said, 
We remember something that liar said while he was still alive. He claimed after three days I will rise again. So give the order to make the tomb secure until the third day. If you don't, his disciples might come and steal the body. Then they will tell the people that Jesus has been raised from the dead. This last lie will be worse than the first. Great. Beverly, continue for me. Thanks. Yeah, go ahead, Beverly. Take some guards with you, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure. They put a seal on the stone and placed some guards on the Amen. So that's a scripture from Matthew 27, 57 to 66. And this scripture is talking about the resurrection Sunday. Okay. They buried Jesus in the tomb that belonged to who? Who knows? Who was the owner of the tomb in which Jesus was buried? Joseph. Joseph of Arimathea. He was a rich man. So he had his own tomb he had built for himself, for him to be buried in when he died. Jesus died, and he was a Pharisee, right? He was one of the people who were against Jesus, but somehow after he had listened to Jesus, he got converted. And so when Jesus died, he came up and said, we can bury him in my tomb. And so... It says, Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. And then he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb. So like that, you know, he rolled the stone in front of the entrance of the tomb. Then he went away. Okay, and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there across from the tomb. So they saw where the tomb was. Okay, because they were there when he was putting him in and rolling the stone. And the next day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate and said, we remember that liar. That liar. Those who took part in the drama. Just a minute. Okay. After, make sure you bring all of them back, Beverly. So, where was I? Uh, they said that liar. That liar was where I was. That liar. So, Joshua, if I hear another voice from there, I'm going to move you from there. Do you hear me? I'm going to move you if I hear you talking again. All right, so I said that liar. So they were saying when that liar was around, he was saying that after three days I will rise again. So Jesus talked about his rising up whilst he was still alive. He said, I'm going to die after three days, I'm going to rise up. So the Pharisees went to Pilate and said, we remember him saying that. So we don't want anybody going to steal his body so that these disciples will go and peddle that lie. So let's make the tomb secure. 
until the third day so that uh, nobody will go in and take his body. And what did Pilate say? It says, take some guards with you, Pilate answered, go and make the tomb as secure as you can. Okay, let me wait for them to come in. Everybody came back? Okay. So, Pilate said, go and make the tomb as secure as you can, right? And they did. How did they make it secure? They said, put a seal on the stone and place some guards on duty. Now, that seal, sealed with a cord, they would usually wrap a rope or cord around the entrance and they will cover each end of the rope with clay or wax so that you would have to break the seal to move the stone. So it becomes evident. I mean, have you seen tamper-proof um, medications? Tamper-proof medications. So they put a seal around the neck, right? So the moment you, you have to break the seal to open it. So we can see that somebody has tampered with it, right? So... When it said, make it as secure as you can, it's like, put a seal around it so that if anybody interferes with it, we can tell that somebody came to open the tomb, okay? And that's what they did, made the tomb secure. Now we're going to examine, who says the tomb is empty? Uh, let's, let's read this discussion. Nick, you are Christian, and um, Chris... You are Jewish leaders. So, Nick, read. Jesus' tomb is empty. He's been raised from the dead. No, the disciples must have stolen the body. Christian? Jesus' tomb is empty. He's been raised from the dead. The tomb isn't empty. That dead body is still in there. Okay. Now, let's follow these two discussions. The first part, we're talking of Christians saying, the tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. Right? And the Jewish leaders are saying, no, the disciples must have stolen the body. Now, the second discussion is, Christians, the tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. The Jewish leaders say, no, the tomb isn't empty. His dead body is still in there. Now, just look at these two conversations. Which of the two, the first part, the first conversation, obviously, is what the records tell us. The biblical record, the textual record, which we've proven that you can rely on, they tell us that when the Christians said the tomb is empty and Jesus is risen, the Jewish leaders didn't say the second one. They said, no, the disciples stole his body. Which of the two do you think are saying that Jesus' tomb is empty? Myra. Christians or Jewish leaders, which of, the, of those two do you think are saying the tomb is empty? Jewish leaders or Jewish leaders? Christians or Jewish leaders? Which of the two are saying the tomb is empty? Oh, Christians. Christians, okay. Okay, but in the same argument, the, um, the Jewish leaders said that the body is stolen. So, so they're also saying the tomb is empty. But in the second argument, Right. So in the first argument, both of them are admitting that the tomb is empty. 
Now, that is significant because the Jewish leaders are not Christians. They are the enemies of Jesus, right? If the tomb was not empty and Jesus was still in there, then the conversation will be more like the second one, where if the Christians come and say the tomb is empty, the Jewish leaders will say, you guys are lying. Go in there. His body is still there, right? So obviously, even the enemies of Jesus admit, even the enemies of Jesus, hey, Prince, hi, long time. Good to see you. Even the enemies of Jesus admit that his body is not in the tomb. Do we all agree? Right? Even his enemies admit that his body is not in the tomb. So we have a strong case here that indeed on Resurrection Sunday, the tomb was empty. Even the enemies of Jesus admit that his tomb was empty. Okay? Now, one theory about the tomb being empty is that the woman who found the tomb empty accidentally went to the wrong grave. So, they're saying, because some of the gospel accounts describe the woman reaching an empty tomb and finding someone who says, you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, he is not here. Those who propose this theory, they are saying, the woman thought they saw an angel, but maybe they just saw the gardener who told them, oh, he's not here. In other words, this is not his tomb. And so the woman, ignoring what the man said, going into the tomb and finding it empty and coming to say, oh, Jesus is risen. It's all a lie because they just went to the wrong tomb. Are you following? Now, let's see how indeed that is plausible. So, I already talked about that. Let's see how plausible that is. The scripture actually says, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was put. Remember when we were reading the scripture? When he was talking about when Joseph was putting the, tomb, the body of Jesus in the tomb? The women were there. They were there. They saw where the tomb was. They saw where Jesus was being put. It wasn't like they didn't know where the location of the tomb was. They knew where it was. And why did they want to know where it was? They wanted to know where it was because they had plans to come back and put spices on his body to embalm his body. So they were intentional in locating where it was. Right? If I take you somewhere, yes, I'm going to come to you, George. If I take you somewhere and you know you have to come back to the same place, won't you take measures to remember where it is? Right? So the women saw where he was put. Yes, Joshua. Um, who's Joseph? Who is Joseph? The mother of Joseph. I don't know. <laughs> I have to find out and tell you. I don't want to tell you anything wrong. Do you know? Oh, okay. All right. There's this other scripture. It says, Mary Magdalene quiet. Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary seated by the place of the dead. Right? And this other one, it says, the woman who had come with him from Galilee went after him and saw the place and how his body had been put to rest. So all these tell us 
Yes. Supposed to be Joseph, not Joseph. Oh, okay. So maybe it's just another variant of, of Joseph. Good. All right. So all these scriptures tell us that, indeed, to say that the women didn't know the tomb and they went to the wrong tomb is just bogus. They knew where the tomb was. And they went to the right tomb. Okay? And so, even if somebody said, even if they went to the wrong tomb, their friend who owned the grave would certainly have known where it was. Joseph of Arimathea himself will certainly have known where his own grave was. Do you get it? So that theory that they went to the wrong tomb is just bogus. Okay. Now, if the woman went to the wrong tomb, Think about it. If you were the, one of the Jewish leaders who were against Jesus and his disciples, and if they went to the wrong tomb, why didn't the Jewish leaders just point to the correct tomb and say, hey, you guys, stop all this noise. This is the right tomb. Jesus' body is there. He's not risen. Easy. They would just do that and shut them up. But because, indeed, his tomb was empty, they couldn't shut them up. They couldn't stop them. Because indeed, Jesus' tomb was empty. Another theory is that his body was stolen. Now, let's see how the conversation will go. Sarah, you are Christian, and Belinda, you are Jewish leaders. Let's go. Jesus' tomb is empty. He's been raised from the dead. No, the disciples stole the body. How could they? The guards at the tomb would have stopped them. Oh, but the guys at the tomb fell asleep. Right. Trained guards falling asleep on the job and sleeping through the noise of someone moving the stone. I don't think so. The Jews bribed the guards to say they fell asleep. Now, does that make sense? <coughs> See, it doesn't make sense for the Jewish leaders or, to, or the guards to say, oh, we were asleep. And whilst we were sleeping, the disciples came and stole the tomb. First of all, if you were asleep, how did you see that the disciples were the one who came to take the body away? Right? If you were sleeping, how would you know who came? That in itself tells you they are lying. And then, number two, these are Roman soldiers. Now, if you know anything about the Roman soldiers, when you are giving a prisoner and you are told to guard the prisoner, it's your life for the life of the prisoner. If you let that prisoner escape, you will die. They will kill you. That's how serious the, Roman, the, the, the laws in the Roman soldiers were. So that, if you remember the story of Paul and Silas, when there was earthquake, when they were singing in the prison and there was earthquake, and the guard woke up in the middle of the night and he thought that the prisoners had escaped. If you remember, this is in Acts chapter 16, I think. The guard took his knife and was about to kill himself. Why? Because he knew he was a dead man. Because for the prisoners to escape, he will be killed for letting the prisoners escape. So he was going to kill himself. And Paul screamed and told him, no, don't kill yourself. We are all in here. So Roman soldiers who have been given the charge to protect Jesus' body, to let the body of Jesus be stolen whilst they are on duty, it meant that they will die for it. Okay? Which was more reason why to them, when the Pharisees came to them and suggested that 
No, you will take this money and peddle this story around that the disciples came to steal their body whilst we were sleeping. It was also in their favor because it sort of mitigates their um, situation that, oh, somebody came to steal the tomb, we just, the, the body, we just fell asleep. Rather than them having to own up and say, we slept on God for us not to have slept and protect the body, we actually slept on God. Are you following or am I confusing you? You're following, right? So it doesn't make sense for them to say his body was stolen. Actually, it makes sense to say that the soldiers were bribed to tell this lie. And it will amaze you, even up until today, if you go to Jerusalem or you meet some Jew and you talk to them about Jesus resurrecting, this lie is still being peddled around. They'll tell you, oh, no, 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 they stole his body. The disciples went to steal his body and they say Jesus is arisen. arisen." Even up until today, but remember what I told you. Examine the evidence for yourself. It doesn't even make sense to say his body was stolen when Roman soldiers are on guard. Okay? Let's move on. Three days and three nights. Three days and three nights. So you hear in the Bible, Prince, that Jesus was supposed to be buried for three days and three nights. Was he? Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, yeah? Mm-hmm. How about the nights? Friday night, Saturday night. So it's not three days, three nights. Right? But it says three days, three nights. I mean, Jesus said, uh, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the earth for three days and three nights. And on the third day, he will rise up again. Right? Yes. Right. How come we're even counting Friday as a day if he didn't die from the beginning of the day? Right? So, good question. So, actually, if we count it by the day as we know it, it's actually a day and a half that Jesus was in the tomb. Are you following? Yes, Joshua? No, because, like, listen, he he wasn't killed at the beginning of Friday, right? Uh Uh-huh. And it says three days and three nights. Uh Uh-huh. So, Saturday, Uh let's say Saturday evening, Uh that's one day. Mm -hmm. Sunday, that's two days. Uh Uh-huh. And then Monday, Uh that's three days. Uh But you have to wait for the night, too, right? Uh Uh-huh. So, then on Tuesday morning. Uh Uh-huh, he would have been. But, but so, how come we're saying on a Sunday, Jesus resurrected? Are you following me, Brittany? Right? How are we saying on a Sunday... Yes, Joshua. I mean, Judah, sorry. <laughs> yes, Judah. Because uh, I don't think the Bible specifically says that uh, he was resurrected on a Sunday. He just said on the, uh, on the like, uh, it didn't really say what day he was. I was saying, it said, it said the Sunday, actually, even though it doesn't say Sunday, the day after the Sabbath is Sunday. That's how come we do church on Sunday. See, before... Jaden, sit up. Before, the Jews met in the synagogue on which day? Saturday. Because Jesus resurrected on Sunday, 
the disciples and the early Christians, they all started meeting on, they called it the Lord's Day, which is the day that the Lord Jesus was resurrected. So they called Sunday the Lord's Day. So they all started meeting on Sundays. And that's how come we still meet on Sundays. Because Jesus rose on Sunday. Now, somebody had their hand up. Yes, Josh. What? What? I didn't hear you. No, the Sabbath is Saturday. And the day after Sabbath is Sunday. Okay? So, let's try to solve this mystery. Um, Aaron, read for me. Louder. Jesus was to be in the grave three days and nights. How do we fit those between Good Friday and Easter Sunday? Okay. Now, in Esther 4.16, you see, the Bible also talks about um, Esther saying to Mordecai, we are not going to eat three days, night or day. And he says that on the third day, I will go and see the king. If you know anything about the story of Esther, when there was a law that we're going to annihilate all the Jews. And Esther was a queen in the king's palace. And so Esther said to his uncle, her uncle Mordecai, go and gather all the Jews and fast and pray for three days, for three days, days and nights. And then on the third day, I will go and see the king. Now think about it. If you are supposed to fast three days, and then after your fast, on the third day, you go and see the king. Shouldn't after your fast be the fourth day? If you are fasting for three days, and then after your fast, you go and see the king. Shouldn't after your fast, which is to last three days, shouldn't after your fast be the fourth day? Right? How come it says she went on the third day to see the king? Uh, I guess they don't know how to count. Exactly. Okay. So, if three days and nights were counted in the same way as we count them today, Esther could not have seen the king until the fourth day. But obviously, he says he saw the king on the third day. Now, that should reveal to you how the Jews count their days. Okay. Oh, did I go back? Oh, yeah. Okay, so... By comparing these passages, we can see that in the minds of people in Bible times, the third day is equivalent to after three days. Okay? The third day is equivalent to after three days. Now, let's try to understand that looking at this diagram here. Now, in the Jewish system, this is how they count their days. And you would see that even in, in the book of Genesis, when God was creating the whole world. He says, and the evening and the morning was the first day. Did you see that in Genesis? Right? If you, if you read Genesis chapter 1, when God created, let there be light, and da, 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 and then it will say, and the evening and the morning was the first day. For us, we start our day from the morning. But the Jewish system, they start counting their day from the evening. Okay? That's the first thing you, you should realize. And then, second thing, the Jews also count part of a day as the full day. As long as something happens 
in part of a day, they still count it as a full day, which is why you would have Esther still go to see the king on the third day, even though her fast would have been for three days. Confusing? A little bit. But let's see. So Jesus was crucified. So Friday, Friday actually starts for the Jew. Friday actually starts on Thursday evening. Okay? And Friday ends on Friday evening at 6 p.m., sundown. Saturday starts on Friday evening, ends sundown. Same Sunday starts Saturday and ends sundown on Sunday. And that's how they see, they count the days. So on Friday, Jesus is crucified on Friday, which will be in the day part of Friday. But to the Jew, because that happens in the Friday day, it's still counted as night and day. Do you get it? No, forget about it making sense to you. Just try to understand how they count their days. Right? For instance, if I tell you that to me, to me, um, this is gray. To me, this looks like gray. And I try to explain to you why it looks like gray. Try and understand me. Don't try to look at it and say, no, this is not gray, this is black. Right? Try to understand the Jew from the Jewish point of view. And so, on Saturday, you have the Sabbath, which begins on Friday night, goes into Saturday. So technically, from the Jewish perspective, even though Jesus was crucified on the Friday um, day part, because it happened on the day part, they will still count the Friday, the night part, which was a Thursday night. And they will still count the day part and count the Saturday night part and the Saturday day part. And Sunday, even though he resurrects um, on Sunday morning, the day, they still count the full day. So when the Jewish system says Jesus was buried three days and three nights, they understand that to mean three days, which is one, two, three, and then three nights, one, two, three. Okay? In the earth. Does that make sense? Help? Does that help at all? It's just a confusion from how the Jews count their days and their nights. Let's move on. Any question? All right, let's move on. Um, who hasn't read? Can you read for me, um, Bridget? You can see. Myra, can you see? Read for me. Yeah, read, Myra. Quiet. Evidence of the Gospels of the early Jewish and of the Jewish leaders all Amen. Now, all of you are intelligent people. If the tomb is empty, does it mean Jesus is resurrected? What? 
No, not necessarily, right? That the tomb is empty doesn't necessarily mean Jesus is resurrected. So, how then do we know that Jesus resurrected? Look at what happened to the disciples. At the time of Jesus' death, they were depressed. Is it hot in here, or is it just me? Is it because I'm sick? Is it's not hot in here? You guys are okay? Temperature is okay? What? Water bottle? Go, go grab some water for everyone. Grab, grab a case. Tyler and Joshua, go. I mean, Emmanuel. Okay. At the time of Jesus' death, they were all depressed. And as well, Peter denied Jesus three times. Okay. And the disciples were afraid they would be put to death. They were hiding behind closed doors. Even John decided he was going back to his fishing because Jesus is dead. Like, we followed you all our lives. We're thinking that you're going to be some king who is going to bless us and all that. And then we watch you being crucified and you couldn't even defend yourself. So they were all disappointed. Very disappointing. I mean, you think about it. You are building your career... And being a fisherman in those days was a great career. <laughs> great career. As it is today. If you're a fisherman today, make big money. Right? Great career they had. And they saw this young man, left everything, and followed him. Thinking that Jesus is going to be a great person. And they follow him, and Jesus is crucified and killed. And he doesn't save himself. Won't you be disappointed? You will be disappointed. The disciples were disappointed. In fact, they were depressed. And then, after they were depressed, all of a sudden, the disciples were out boldly proclaiming that Jesus Christ is alive. Something has happened, obviously, that has made these people who were once cowards who were once depressed, who were even going back to their previous job, all of a sudden get some energy going out, proclaiming that Jesus is alive. Even to the point of being killed for what they were saying. They didn't care. They kept proclaiming that Jesus is alive. Now that to me sounds like something more than an empty tomb. Do you get it? It has to be something they have seen, not just an empty tomb. They had to physically have seen Jesus. Can you just take it and pass it on to whoever needs it? Who needs water? Yeah, pretty much everybody. Serve us, guys. Make sure everybody gets some, guys. 
All right, all right, we, we have to continue. Let them pass the water around and then let's all pay attention. Quiet, quiet. Aaron, you guys should pay attention. Let's continue. Just raise your hand. You don't need to talk. Just raise your hand if you need water. All right. So, question is, Myra, don't you think it will take more than an empty tomb? You, Myra. Don't you think it will take more than an empty tomb for the disciples to be boldly proclaiming that Jesus is alive? Because of their faith. What Jesus told them. I mean, it won't just be a wishful thinking or something. It would be something they would see, I think. Right? Okay, everybody has water? Not everyone. Who, who wants water and they didn't get? Show by hand. All right. Is the water done? Is it done? No, here. It's done? Anybody needs water? You need water. Okay, can you grab more water, please? All right. Don't be distracted. Don't be distracted. All right. So, it will take more than an empty tomb for the disciples to be proclaiming that Jesus is alive, even to the point of death. Remember I was telling you, it's one thing to tell a lie that Jesus is alive. It's another thing when they put a sword to your throat and they tell you, is Jesus alive? <laughs> and then you still insist that, yes, he's alive. Kill me. Right? You have to be fully persuaded in yourself that this is the truth. Nobody in your right mind will die for a lie. If you put a gun to my head, if I keep telling you guys I'm the Prime Minister of Canada, and they put a gun to my head and say, are you the Prime Minister of Canada? I would say, I'm not. I'm not the Prime Minister of Canada. Of course Jesus is alive. I will not deny. I know, but he said that, okay, if you were left behind in the rapture, and they said, um, um, will you take your mark? He said, you would take it. I said, I won't trust myself. So you would take it. 
I won't trust myself to even say I won't take it. Right? I won't trust myself to say I won't take it. And, and when I say, even now, when they put a gun to my head, is Jesus alive? And I'll say, of course, I'll say, um, yes, he's alive. I'm saying that with prayer in my heart, that Holy Spirit, I hope I will say Jesus is alive. Help me. You know? I tell you a story. Let me tell you guys a story. And this is a true story. Okay? This is a true story that happened in Siberia, in Russia area, where they were, guys, guys, you're disturbing us. Princess. What was I saying? Siberia. They were going to be killed for their faith. They took them, stripped them naked, put them in this coldest part of Russia, in the snow, after they had beaten them and everything, right, tortured them, now stripped them naked in the snow, very cold, right, to die. And the person who was doing this to them, he was an atheist, right, was trying to make them confess that there is no God, everything about Jesus is false, thank you. That it's not true. And so there were three of them. And as he came to the first one, so he was in his warm clothes and everything with his cigar, keeping warm and saying, you guys, all you have to do is deny God, deny Jesus, and I give you warm clothes. And you'll be fine. You, you'll be healed and everything. So he saw the person who was putting them through this torture, who was the atheist, Somehow, his eyes were opened, and he saw angels on top of each of these three. So each time he comes to the first, he comes to that person and says, deny Christ. And the person says, I'm not denying Christ. He sees the angel coming down onto that person and sort of strengthening the person. And he could see, they couldn't see anything. But he, the atheist, could see them. And when he comes to one and he sees that in their thoughts, they are almost um, having two thoughts about denying Christ or not denying Christ. You see the angels going away. And when they have a resolve to not deny, then the angels are coming down. So he saw that playing out. And so the two of them, two, the first two didn't deny. They said, we will not deny. The angels came. They died. The first two died. And they received their spirits to heaven. And then the third one, once he came to the third one, he saw that the third one was constantly wrestling, whether to deny or not to deny. So the angels would come, and as they are coming, the guy would change his mind about denying, the angels would go back. And he saw that playing out, and then finally the third one says, I deny Christ, I don't know God, I don't, I, everything. He saw the angels go away, and so he came out. And when he came out, this atheist guy, he removed his clothes, and gave it to the guy, and he went and took his place. And he said, I believe in Jesus. <laughs> this is a true story I'm telling you. 
He said, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the God that these people believe in. He is the true God. And they killed him. You understand? What am I saying? Yeah, the atheist. Yeah, of course, you meet him in heaven. The point is that in the moment of death, you should not deny Christ. When Jesus called us, he called us to be faithful. He says, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Okay? So these disciples, the very fact to me, the very fact that they were willing to die, not just willing to die, but they actually died for their faith, tells me that Jesus Christ is resurrected, indeed. That's the only explanation I can have for people who were depressed, who were cowards, who were afraid, all of a sudden have some boldness, proclaiming that Jesus is alive, and even to the point of death, not denying him. Amen. Now, besides that, there are also 500 eyewitnesses who literally saw Jesus being uh, Jesus who has risen from the dead, the resurrected Christ. They saw him. This is Apostle Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 to 6. Gabriel, can you read for me? Amen. Now, if you know, Paul wrote his letters before even the Gospels were written, right? The Gospels were written after Paul had written his letters. And so these are one of the earliest accounts that we have about Jesus' resurrection. And this is Paul writing. Now, think about it. If I am writing something and I'm saying that um, there was this cow that was dead, but the cow got up and is alive, right? And I'm writing this into the news on CNN, and I'm saying that the cow was dead, the cow is alive, and 500 people who are still alive even saw the cow dead and alive. Don't you think the CNN journalists will go and interview those 500 people, right? They will interview each one of them. And so I better know my fact when I'm writing that there are 500 people who saw him who are, who are still alive. In fact, for Paul to even say that most of them are still living, he's actually inviting people to go and talk to them. Go and verify what I'm telling you, that whether they saw Jesus or not. Paul himself was one of them. He saw Jesus himself, that Jesus is alive. Amen. And that is one of the strongest proofs we have of the resurrection. Any question? So, somebody says, oh, maybe these witnesses, they are telling us the truth. They are very sincere in their belief. But what they are believed in is just a hallucination. 
right? Maybe the witnesses were sincere in believing they saw Jesus. Perhaps they accurately reported what they saw, but they have been seeing a hallucination that convinced them they were encountering Jesus when they really weren't. Now, how do we answer that? Has hallucinations happened to individuals? Remember I told you about this guy who said he was seeing God? No. Oh, I didn't tell you. We went to preach. Remember, Paul? I don't know if you were. We went for evangelism on um, Islington and Finch. Those apartment buildings there. We knocked on the door. This um, Rastafarian guy, he opened the door. He said, come in. The whole house was smelling like weed. I told you. And then we entered, and we're trying to talk to him about Jesus. And we said, do you know God? He said, me? No God? I see God. <laughs> he said, I see God. <laughs> he was high. The guy was high. <laughs> he said, he doesn't know God. He sees God. Amen. So, that's hallucination. Hallucination is by individuals, right? They see stuff. Nobody else sees. They are in the room all by themselves. They feel like they are floating in the clouds, right? It would make sense if all of us in this room, all of a sudden, we are seeing an angel. If everybody is seeing that angel, do you think we are hallucinating? No. no. If one person is seeing an angel... Right? It might be true that they are hallucinating. It might be. But it doesn't make sense for everybody in the room to be seeing something and we think that they are hallucinating. You follow me? So that in itself throws out the hallucination theory. Because it wasn't an individual. It was a group of people, even up to 500 of them, who were claiming to have seen the resurrected Christ. Okay? Now, most hallucinations are caused by drugs or by going without food, water, or sleep. But these were people who were not um, going without water or food or sleep or who were on drugs or anything. In fact, they were one of the most moral people in their days. Yes, Beverly. I mean, Michaela. Does that mean Jesus Christ is important to put a hallucination? So... That's, a, that's a, a, a good point. Does that mean Jesus fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he could have been hallucinating with the devil tempting him? So, that's a good question. The answer to that is no. But it is also probable when some people go on fast, which the Lord did not lead them. Guys, you're disturbing. I don't want to say that again. When people go on fasts that they were not led by the Lord. So for instance, if I decide by myself just to prove that I'm spiritual, I'm going on a 100-day fast. Right? I may start seeing things that is not the Lord who's showing me. <laughs> you get it? I'll just be hallucinating and being in some other realm. But if the Lord tells me go on a 40-day fast and I go on a 40-day fast, the Lord sustains my body in a supernatural way so that if I have visions, 
it won't be hallucinating. It will be a real spiritual encounter. And there are spiritual encounters like that. Okay? Did I answer your question? Okay. So, what are the odds that many people from different situations all of a sudden begin to have the same hallucination? Very low. So it's not hallucination when we say that Jesus is risen. They actually saw him. Amen. Now, the last thing on that is, if people were actually hallucinating that he's risen, one of the easiest ways to prove that is, let's go to his tomb. His body is there. But they couldn't because his body was not there. Amen. Now, let's move on. Besides hallucination, some also think that it's just wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. Nadel, read for me. Right. They were so set on uh, Jesus rising from the dead that they talked themselves into believing it had happened. For instance, um, who, who, who can give me an example of some wishful thoughts that you've had? Wishful thoughts. Yes, Maxine. That one day I'll get an iPhone. <laughs> That one day you get an iPhone. Okay. One day she'll get an iPhone. So that if I were to buy a phone for her, which is not an iPhone, just by seeing the case and seeing that it's a phone, she might decide, see, I'm not even going to open this to be disappointed that it's not an iPhone. I'm just going to keep it in the box and feel good and tell myself that this is an iPhone. That's wasteful thinking, you know, where you try not to face the facts, but you just try and hope that it's what you want. Yes. Right. So you're applying to university you really want to get into and you are not all going to open the mail to face your disappointment, but you just keep wishing that, yes, you're already in, right? Yes, Irina. Um, so this guy died, uh -huh. and I didn't want to believe that he died. So I just kept telling myself that he really didn't die. He really didn't die, exactly. Wishful thinking. You just didn't want that to happen. Yes. Fidelis. Uh, Fidelis. Yeah, thinking that there's no more school, but yeah, Aha! Uh -huh. How come you guys didn't talk about that? Thinking that there's no more school, right? Especially when exams is approaching. <coughs> Just wishing and hoping there's no more school. That's wishful thinking. Now, let's look at how the disciples would have gone through wishful thinking if indeed they went. Now, think about it. There was too much at stake for them to have just walked by wishful thinking that Jesus is alive. Would you still be in wishful mode if it meant that you would get an F in your course? 
and you'll just be in your room wishing that I'll get an A, even though you don't, go to, you don't show up to write the exam. You're just wishing that somehow the teacher would put somebody's name under your name and give you an A, and you don't show up to write the exam. Who will do that? Irina? Yeah, right. You won't do that if it means you'll get an F, right? Yeah. Now, guess what? These guys, it wasn't a grade. It was losing their life. Gabriel. It was losing their life. And so, it's not something that they would play wishful thoughts on. Amen? Now, secondly, it also depends on people having to believe what they want to believe. But two of the eyewitnesses, Paul, the apostle, and James, the brother of Jesus, they didn't want to believe in Jesus. Do you know that? While Jesus was alive, his brother James, who wrote the book of James that you see in the New Testament, he didn't believe in Jesus when Jesus was alive. So he was one of the people who didn't want to um, have Jesus resurrected from the dead. Paul the Apostle was persecuting the believers. Right? And so, for such people to have turned around and all of a sudden they have come to faith in Jesus, you can't explain that with wishful thinking. Are you with me? Amen. Princess, I'm going to move you if you disturb again. Okay? All right. Now, this wishful thinking also doesn't explain why the body is not in the tomb. All right. Let's move on. The final evidence. We're wrapping up. The final evidence. If Jesus resurrected however many years ago, and today, it doesn't matter whether he's dead or alive. Why is all this important? If it really doesn't matter whether Jesus is dead or alive today, why would it matter if he resurrected 2,000 years ago? Do you get it? That's the final evidence in my thoughts of Jesus being resurrected. People all over the world are constantly encountering Jesus. Constantly having an encounter with Jesus in their life. You and I, we are here today because we have had an encounter with Jesus. If this man was dead, we would not be encountering him. There are thousands and thousands of countless examples of people whose lives were like black, 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 dark, um, mixed with all evil, who encountered Jesus, and all of a sudden they have changed, and they are preaching the gospel, they have a wonderful family, they are good people, all because they encountered Jesus. Are you with me? There are countless stories of people who didn't believe in God, who are Muslims, who encountered Jesus, and their lives have changed. That, to me, is the final evidence that Jesus Christ is alive. 
if he was not alive, how do we explain him changing people's lives in the way that he does? Every day, we see stories of people being healed. Recently, there was a story of a dead man who was raised to life in one of the crusades in, in Nigeria. Why? He's saying, of course. Yeah, you believe that the devil can do something like that, but not God? Yeah, the devil can fake stuff, but this is real stuff. This is Reinhard Bonnke. If you've heard of Reinhard Bonnke, he went to do a crusade, and there was this man who had been killed in a car accident. They brought his body to the crusade grounds. They prayed for him, and he was resurrected. He was raised to life. Okay, now, how do you explain many of the miracles that we read that Jesus was doing in the Bible, they are being done today by people who believe in Jesus? The only way I can explain that is, the same Jesus who did those miracles, he is alive today, and he's doing those miracles through people. Amen. That is the final evidence to me that Jesus Christ is alive. That he is not still in the tomb. That the tomb is empty is proof to me that Jesus is alive because he is alive in my personal life. Amen. Let's see this video. I believe that it was true monotheism that Christians who worship the Trinity were polytheists. Not realizing it, they didn't realize that they were worshiping three. Uh, they would say one, but it was actually three, and they didn't know what they were doing. That's what I believed. And so I would extend people the invitation to Islam. I would argue that the Bible isn't reliable. I would argue that Jesus' death on the cross doesn't pay for one's sins, uh, that Jesus never claimed to be God. These kinds of basic Islamic claims, I would argue for them. And what I found was that the average Christian had no response. And so that made me more confident and bold in presenting Islam to Christians. So it wasn't until I got to my university that I ran into somebody who actually had a response. And okay. In his case, it was defending the Bible. He gave me good reasons to believe the Bible was reliable. So this person was obviously very influential. You had, I think, a number of long-running discussions and debates with him. Uh, you were roommates, is that correct? Well, we met uh, because we were both on the debate team, um, and we were on a tournament together. We ended up uh, rooming together on those tournaments. Yeah. Um, but after that, I found out he was studying biology. I was doing pre-med, and so we would sign up for classes together. We would study <laughs> together, and in our free time, we would just argue about, uh, right. about the Quran and about the Bible. and. Uh, so, yeah, we really did have great long discussions, which lasted over the course of years. I mean, he didn't convince me of anything overnight. It was right. the fact that we had this long-running discussion where we could revisit things that we had discussed before. What would you say was the turning point for you, then? The turning point, I would say, was, uh, well, first, we didn't talk about Islam critically right away. The, the, we talked critically about Christianity, and I was quite convinced that the Bible had been altered over time that Jesus never claimed to be God, that the Trinity was unreliable in terms of uh, unviable as a concept even. Um, and so over the course of these discussions, he was able to show me how he could rely upon the text of Scripture, um, how we could know that the New Testament message has not been changed. Um, and it took me about a year, but I realized that's probably true. But then I asked, where in the Bible does Jesus claim to be God? Now that's kind of the most important thing for Muslims, um, because Jesus is a prophet, according to Muslims. He's the Messiah, even, but he's not God. And according to the Quran, he never claimed to be God. 
Uh, so if we find that the New Testament is reliable and therein he claims to be God, that's a problem for Muslims. Mm. So first looking at the Gospel of John and then moving my way through the synoptics to Mark's Gospel, uh, I realized that Jesus always claimed to be God. All four Gospels, he's God, even before the Gospels were written, if you believe Paul's writings came first, which most people do. Paul says Jesus is God. The early Christian community uniformly said Jesus is God. And how are these Jews who are so emphatically monotheist saying this man is God? Uh, it only makes sense if we conclude that Jesus himself claimed to be God. And so when I realized that the historical evidence was in favor of Christianity, that's what got me to bend my knee to God and say, God, can you show me who you are? It wasn't that I was convinced Christianity was true, but that's when the search went from an academic one to a heartfelt one. And, and that man is Nabil Qureshi. He just passed on few, I think, either last year or so, he died. he died. He died, he had cancer and he died. But he, he was a Muslim and he converted to Christianity because of his encounter with Christ. And he became an evangelist, preaching across the nations of the world to people about Jesus. You know, if Jesus is not alive, these things don't happen. Like, you can't turn people's mind like that without a personal encounter with Christ. And there was another video I wanted to show you, but it was long, so I, I didn't show you, of this man um, by name, uh, what's his name, Nicky Cruz. Nicky Cruz, you should Google him. Hardcore gangster. I talked about him, I think, at camp. Hardcore gangster who encountered Jesus. Now he's an evangelist preaching because the nations of the world. These things show us that Jesus is alive. Amen. So we have seen all these stuff today. Now let's look at the conclusion. So what? And this is where I want you all to personalize everything we've learned. Because I don't care about stuff that goes into your head. It's stuff that goes into your heart that will really change you. It's in your heart. That's where transformation happens. So, if Jesus is the Son of God, then his teachings are more than just good ideas from a wise teacher. They are God's insights on which I can confidently build my life. If you know that Jesus is the Son of God, and yet you take his teachings lightly, you are deceiving yourself. Are you getting me? Maxine, yes. are you listening? Yes. If you know that Jesus is the Son of God, and you know that the Bible you are holding has his words in it, and you take it lightly, you are deceiving yourself. Do you know? Because if he is the Son of God, and he said some things, then I should pay attention to what he has said. Except maybe I don't believe he's the Son of God, or I think he's just some wise teacher somewhere. No way. He's not just some wise teacher. He is the son of God. Are you listening to me? So I would take his teachings seriously. That is why when I became a Christian like you guys, I decided that I was going to read through the whole Bible for myself. I was not satisfied to come to church for people to be talking to me about God. No. I was going to go on a journey to discover for myself who God is. And so I read the whole Bible. I picked up, I had a small, a small Bible. It was King James Version. I couldn't understand half of the language. But I still read it anyways. And I had my marker. 
and I'll read it and I'll mark it. Read it every day. I'll go, I'll read it. I read from cover to cover to the extent that if I heard anybody quoting any verse, I remember from which part of my Bible that verse is because I marked it up. I knew it. Most of the verses I quote to you today, it's not today that I learned it. I learned it many, many years ago. It's still with me. Yes, Sarah. How long did it take? How long did it take? I don't even remember how long it took. I don't remember. I don't remember, to be honest with you. As many as I could. Like I read till I was tired, then I'll fall asleep. Right? And I'm telling you, and I, I'm an A student. Like, it's not like I'm a dumb guy who just spends my time in the Bible. No way. You know me. I study. I do well in school. I, I, I read my Bible. I had a principle through university that there's no way I will study my books and just close my books and go to bed. No way. I, I sort of told myself, if I study and I just close my books and go to bed, when I sleep, I'll forget everything I've studied. So after I study, I'll make sure I'm either reading my Bible or I'm going to pray before I sleep. And that was my way of making sure everything I've studied kept in my brain. That's my own way. What I'm trying to tell you is, if indeed you believe Jesus is the Son of God, you won't treat him lightly. Okay? Number two, if Jesus sets the standard for morality, then I can have an unchanging foundation for my choices and decisions rather than basing them on the changing values of what seems to get me ahead in a particular situation. If Jesus sets the standard for moral living, if Jesus is my example, if Jesus is my standard, I will not live my life comparing myself to other people, how other people are doing it. Are you listening? If people are cheating to get their way through and cutting corners here and there, I will not say because everybody is doing it, I'm also going to do it. No way. I don't live my life based on what people are doing. I live my life based on who Jesus has set the standard for. Jesus is my standard. Amen? Amen. Jesus is my example. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I really don't care. Like, as much as I am grateful for people's opinions and thoughts about me, I could care less what you think about me, really. All I care is what God thinks about me. If all of you think I'm a good guy, and God thinks of me as a bad guy, I'm really very sorry for myself. Do you get it? Because by the end of the day, like you saw in Heaven's Gate, Hell's Flames, who is going to open up the, the door for you to get in? Is it, is it going to be any of you guys? No. No. That's why you shouldn't let what you do for God be dependent on what your friend thinks about you. So sometimes we come and say, let's sing. And some of us are shy because, oh, I don't want my friend to think of me that I'm whatever. Who cares? Yeah, no, that's different. That's different. But I'm talking about people who don't want to get involved. Are you listening, Beverly? Look at you and your hair, and your hair behind your head. All right. So let's move on. If Jesus did rise from the dead, are you with me? If Jesus did rise from the dead, he's still alive today and available for me to encounter on a personal basis. Now, I want you to listen on this one. 
Ah, Aaron, are you listening? Quiet. Let's listen. Encountering Jesus on a personal basis. That, to me, is my whole life's pursuit. Encountering Jesus on a personal basis. Even today, that's my pursuit. I want to see Jesus. Eh? Me, I want to see Jesus. Just like when I read in the Bible that they saw him, that he walked with them. Paul, one time he was in the prison, he said, Jesus stood by me in the night and he spoke to me and said, don't be afraid, I am with you. You must go to this city and preach to them about me. And I read it in the Bible. And I read it. I pray to myself. and I mean, I talk to myself and pray to God. I also want to encounter Jesus. Not just seeing him physically, but knowing him for who he is. You can encounter him too. Amen. If Jesus conquered death, he can open the door of eternal life for me too. If Jesus has divine power, then he has the supernatural ability to guide me and transform me. Amen. If Jesus personally knows the pain of loss and suffering, then he can comfort and encourage me when things go wrong. Amen. Beverly, read the last two for me. Amen. Amen. So as, as we conclude, this is what I want to say to all of us. This is Resurrection Sunday. If you claim to know Jesus, the question I want to ask you is, is Jesus alive in your life? Okay? So much of what they say, what do you have to say if somebody asks you, is Jesus alive? What is your evidence of him being alive? Okay? Let's bow our heads and pray. Now, close your eyes as we pray. Close your eyes. I want you to talk to God and ask Jesus to help you to discover him for real. Don't joke, guys. Pray and talk to God for yourself. Now, if you have not given your life to Jesus before, you have not really committed your life to him, I'm going to pray a prayer. Just pray after me. Close your eyes as we pray. Pray after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you that you came to die for my sins that you were buried, and on the third day you rose up again. Jesus, I acknowledge that I am a sinner, that only you can save me from my sins. Today, I commit my life into your hands. Save me from my sins. Make me your own. 
and transform my life so that I also will have a personal evidence of your resurrection. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, our next series is the Apocalypse. We'll start it next week. This series, you don't want to miss it. You absolutely do not want to miss it. It's going to be very exciting. Come with your questions prepared. I will do my best to answer every question that comes. Okay?